0: Well, this morning I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I will remind you that this morning I am concluding a brief three week series for the new year on three pillars or three characteristics, if you will, of a spiritually healthy church. So far, we have noted that the power of a spiritually healthy church is prayer, and that the focus of a spiritually healthy church is the Great Commission carried out from a burden for the loss that mirrors God's own heart for the salvation of sinners and from that outward-looking, overflowing, giving and spending ourselves to make disciples in Jesus' name. Well, today, the third pillar, if you will, the third characteristic or necessary prerequisite of a spiritually healthy church is this. The home is the building block of a spiritually healthy church. And in order to consider this together, I want us to begin by reading Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 13. Would you follow with me as we read God's Word? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name, You shall swear, Lord. I pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word. Send your Spirit to apply your word to our hearts. Give us a great love for Jesus Christ. We pray, Amen. I admit to feeling a a slight sense of shame, or perhaps just the fact that my years as a youth pastor has emblazoned on my psyche the thought of pizza because pizza commercials were the first thing that came to my mind when I thought about what I was going to uh, preach this morning. Now, pizza, I think, is a quintessentially American phenomenon, a doughy cheesy pie sold in a box at the clip of eight million per day in America, eating a hundred acres of pizza a day. And so it shouldn't surprise us that given the demand, there are lots of pizza commercials on TV as each... each. Uh, chain tries to uh, get a jingle stuck in our head uh, to cause us to salivate over their brand of pizza. We've got Little Caesars with pizza pizza and pizza hut. No one out pizzas the hut. But the uh, tagline that I had in mind this morning was Papa John's, better ingredients, better pizza. Now, my logically, logical fallacy detector uh, was immediately going off when I heard that tagline because the fact is better ingredients don't automatically lead to a better pizza. Stick an inexperienced cook like myself in the kitchen, we can make a mess of any ingredients no matter how good they might be. But it's the principle behind that statement that really caught my attention and gets to the principle of what I'm thinking this morning. The principle that individual ingredients do impact the final product. Or maybe to put it in terms of the church, a spiritually healthy church does depend upon spiritually healthy individuals and homes. Maybe you could put the principle that I'm thinking this way. It is highly unlikely to find the power and presence of the Holy Spirit reigning among us corporately, If we in our homes are dominated by the concerns of the world and give little thought to God or salvation in Christ all throughout the week. Devotion to the Lord in homes that nurture a love for and obedience for the Lord are the building blocks of a spiritually healthy and vital church. And that's what I hope that we will see this morning And I really want to look at this in in two points this morning. First, I want us to consider the importance of our personal devotion to the Lord. And then I want us to see the home as God's ordained nurturing factory, if you will, for that personal devotion to the Lord. So that's our, our outline. Let's start first by considering together that personal devotion to the Lord and a nurtured love for Christ grounds the spiritual vitality of the people of God. Consider what we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses comes to the people of Israel and instructs them in the commands and the statues of the Lord. And why did he do that? Well, in the verse right before what we read, Moses told the people that there was a goal. The goal was that God's people might dwell in God's land and find life and long days and blessing in God's presence. There's a great description of spiritual health and vitality, isn't it? Of joy, life, blessing, and long days in God's presence. But what is the call? What is the the requirement? What's going to make this life and blessing possible? Verse 4 tells us, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In these words that I command you today, Shall be on your heart. See, Israel is not to nurture a mere formal obedience or a mere ritual or habit of rule keeping. No, what Israel was to nurture was a constant devotion to the Lord, a whole person commitment to the Lord that loves the Lord with all our being, and out of that love for the Lord, then meditates on and keeps his word and his commandments. That is the, the essence or the, the mark, if you will, of a person in a community belonging to the Lord. Love for the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's the message that we find here in Deuteronomy 6. And if you were to fast forward to the New Testament, what you would find is Jesus using the exact same logic because what does Jesus say is to describe and to define a follower of Christ and a member of the church? Well, think about John fourteen, twenty-three, where Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, just pause for a second and just meditate on what Jesus just promised. Can you imagine a richer description of spiritual life and blessing than that my father will love you and we will come and make our home with you what a precious promise from the lord and how do we know this blessing by loving jesus and keeping his word out of that love for him or maybe you consider Jesus words in the very next chapter John 15:8 through 11 where Jesus says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me my disciples as my father has loved me so I have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Again, what a beautiful description of spiritual vitality. Joyful, fruit-bearing communion with God. And what is the root or the source of joyful, fruit-bearing communion with God? It is abiding in Christ's love and obeying His commandments. And so do you hear that both Old Testament and New Testament, Deuteronomy and John are presenting the same basic logic that joyful, fruitful, spiritual life in communion with our God rests on loving God in Jesus Christ with all our heart and soul and strength and obeying his word out of that love for him. Now, right away, I'll go back to a point I made Last week, And that is that we don't wake up in the morning and try to manufacture feelings of love. That's not the point at all. Where does this love for the Lord come from? It comes from remembering, recognizing, and meditating on God's gracious salvation that he has worked for his people. In fact, we're going to look at it more in a minute, but later in Deuteronomy 6, that's exactly what Moses says as he calls Israel down in verses 20 through 25 to remember that the Lord brought them out of Egypt with a strong hand and gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, not for any merit in them, but because of his love for them and because of his promises to their fathers. Well, what do we find in the New Testament? Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without God and without hope in the world until God sent his son Jesus Christ to give his life to the point of death on the cross that he might redeem any who would turn from sin to follow Christ in faith. And it's when we consider God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, the salvation that he has wrought for us, when we consider him, how can we not give ourselves to him and respond in love and devotion to him with all our heart and soul and might. Of course, we will never foster this Christ-centered, God-consumed joy, life, and obedience just by showing up for an hour at church, but spending the rest of our week having little thought of God or of his word. This may be a, a silly picture of this, but I was thinking about book clubs this week a number of you I know are in book clubs of one sort of or another. How many of you ever gone to a book club where almost no one's read the book? <laughs> or if they did read the book, they haven't thought about the book for a second since they read it. And it quickly becomes apparent that the pur- purpose for being there has nothing to do with the book. It's just an opportunity to get out for the night and talk about kids or work or, or the local gospel, gossip. How fruitful is that book club? Well, it's not. But compare that to the book club where everyone reads the book and everyone is invested in the book and everyone is eager to come together to talk about the book and and see what everyone else thought about that plot twist and what that means for that character's uh, personality and, and intentions. Not only is that a lot more fun to be part of, but the whole group gives each other a greater appreciation for the book and for reading in general but isn't that just the tiniest picture when it comes to books and and novels of the principle we're talking about here? How much more will our worship and our fellowship and our ministry together as the body of Christ depend upon coming together out of a nurtured love for Christ, having meditated on the word of Christ in an eagerness to obey Christ together? And how much more will a casual carelessness about Christ and his word and a preoccupation with the things and the routines of the world all week long zap any spiritual strength we might have as a congregation when we come together? And so can I first encourage us as a congregation to consider the call to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our strength and to find our faith in Christ as the highest priority in our life, to abide in the love of Christ and to obey His commandments. For that's the foundation of a spiritually healthy church. That's the first thing for us to consider this morning. But the second thing for us to consider this morning is that in God's covenantal plan, this love for God is nurtured in families and in homes. If you flip back to Deuteronomy 6, or if you still have your your Bible open to Deuteronomy 6, ask yourself this question. How was this love for God and obedience to his commandments to be nurtured and to be maintained in Israel? Well, Moses immediately goes to the home. And talks about how it is to be nurtured in the home. You see it there in verse 7. You shall teach them. That is the commandments that he has just talked about. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. And on your gates. Now again, this isn't supposed to be a, a, a ritual as, as if as long as I have post-it notes with a Bible verse on my bathroom mirror and, and a, and a, and a you know artwork on the wall that includes a Bible verse, I'm good. No, the home was to be steeped in the word of God that the whole family might be learning to love and obey God that the people of God as a whole would remain faithful to God. In fact, if you look down at verse 20, In Deuteronomy 6, same chapter, you you find the same principle and the same pattern emphasized again. Moses says, when your son, when your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, the context is the home. Your kids are going to ask you, why do we do that? And as a parent, how many times have we heard this kind of question? Dad, why do we have to do that? Why would God want us to do that in 2024? Why do I have to pay attention to that? And what's the answer? Moses says, "'You shall say to your son, "'We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, "'and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. "'He brought us up from here that he might bring us in "'and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. "'And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, "'to fear the Lord our God for our good always.'" That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Beautiful testimony of God's salvation, and where does it happen? In the home. Parents are to pass down to their children the gracious news of God's salvation, that they too might love the Lord and obey his commandments for their good. And all throughout Scripture, we see this principle borne out both for good and for ill. We see what happens in Scripture when families don't teach their children the love of God and of His Word. You remember Judges chapter 2, verse 10, where we read, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And parents, if we do not answer the call and the responsibility of Deuteronomy 6 to pass on the love of the Lord and his commandments to our children, we are one generation from spiritual health and life being gone within our community. On the flip side, though, Paul bears witness to the effectiveness of this pattern. 2 Timothy 1.5, he's talking to Timothy and says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Do you hear this testimony of three generations of passing down faith in Christ, leading to the fruitfulness of Timothy's salvation and then his ministry in the church? And grandparents, don't miss your role there. The testimony of a grandparent's life, testimony of faith and prayers, and the impact that that has in this generational passing down of faith. Of course, the church is exhorted to exactly this pattern in Ephesians 6-4 when Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Because the home is the building block of our joyful, fruitful communion together as a congregation. The 19th century theologian Charles Hodge put it so well, when he said, the character of the church, and of the state for that matter, depends on the character of the family. If religion dies out in the family, it cannot be maintained anywhere else. Now, if this is true, parents, this is a weighty responsibility on us, isn't it? I don't care what your gifts might be, what your calling might be, what your job may be, what ministries you might be serving in. If this is true, parents, our first responsibility is to our children. Last week, missionaries in the Muslim world that we know were giving an update on their ministry and talking about fruit they have seen for the gospel in this Muslim country. But then they added, they said, in, in what the Lord has called us to do and in amongst the fruit that we have seen, we always strive to remember that our children are still our first ministry And responsibility. And if that's true for missionaries in the Muslim world, then it's certainly true for us, isn't it? Of course, we don't roll out of bed and just snap our fingers and this is done. This takes energy, this takes time, this takes commitment, this takes forethought. Because the open door to pass on wisdom and godliness and instruction to our children comes from engagement in their lives. But that's our calling and the reward and the fruitfulness of it is so worth it. Now, this is an overwhelming task. I think we would have to say any one of us parents realizes after about two minutes how helpless we are to change our children's hearts, how little control we have, and yet God still calls us to be instruments in our children's lives. And so the question I ask myself is, does Deuteronomy give me as a parent any advice? Does Deuteronomy 6 give us any advice on how to disciple our children faithfully in the Lord? And the answer is yes, and I want to draw your attention to three specific instructions that Deuteronomy 6 gives us. First, we are to make our homes like a steak in marinade. Scripture is to surround us scripture is to soak into us scripture is to cover us scripture is to apply to every part of us our homes are to be marinating in the word of god now of course that doesn't mean that nothing can happen or be read apart from the bible but it means that we read scripture we talk about scripture we submit to scripture we apply scripture to the situations that come up in our life together It means, parents, you must be spending time in God's Word so that you have wisdom and spiritual riches to give your children. It means children should be hearing the Word and reading the Word and learning Scripture. It means that our families should be quick to default to Scripture as we make decisions. It means, if we're thinking about marinade, that our homes are thoroughly flavored by and directed by God's Word. That's the clear implication of Deuteronomy 6. You talk of it when you sit and when you rise and when you go out and when you come in. It's all around us. Second instruction from Deuteronomy 6, we are to focus on loving the Lord our God and abiding in the love of Jesus. Every parent, I think, knows how easily we slip into disciplining our children to control their behavior. Maybe we want their behavior to be better so we're not embarrassed. Maybe we want their behavior to be better uh, so that it's easier for us. But if that's what we've slipped into, we've missed the point of Deuteronomy 6. Because God's Word here says the love of of God, heart, soul, strength, all that we are, amazed by God's all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-gracious salvation, an invitation to commune with Him and know His love. That's the focus. That's the call to God's people. to love Christ and to keep His commandments out of that love for Him, that we might know and experience the love of the, of the Father and the Son coming to make their home with us. That's the goal. That's the focus. That's the direction of our parenting. And so the second direction is that this is not just about rules or behavior. It's about a heart that loves the Lord. Third instruction. Deuteronomy 6 describes a sharp antithesis that should be evident between our homes and the world. Notice what Deuteronomy 6 verses 13 and 14 say. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall fear. You shall not go after the other gods of the peoples who are all around us. There is to be a sharp difference between our homes that serve the Lord from the world around us and what the world values. Maybe to use New Testament terminology, the culture of our home should reflect a citizenship in heaven and not a citizenship in this world. I wonder how many of you have ever been to the home of a family who has immigrated from another country to the United States. And if you have, you know that even though they're living here, their house still often feels like the other country. It's the food they eat. It's the decor on their walls. It's, it's the language that they talk. It's the traditions they keep. And it tells you that even though you're in a house here in America, you're in a home that belongs to another country and it takes less than about five seconds to recognize the difference between a home that is trying to hold on to those traditions and that citizenship in their home country versus a home that is just trying to get rid of that and be american as much as they can the point that i want to make here is that our home should be striving to hold on to the identity of our citizenship in heaven and should be distinct and different from the world. After all, James 4.4 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? So how can we love the Lord with all our heart and soul and strength and be loving the world at the same time? We can't. And I think what I'm arguing here is that we, our home should be such that any guest or resident who steps into our home should feel that they are stepping out of the world and into a heaven-shaped home that feels like a foreign land compared to the world around us. And if I could make a particular application to our homes now, in 2024, what is the biggest risk to a heaven-shaped home? What is the biggest tunnel for the world to fill our home? It's screens and media. And students, you don't have to go out looking for wickedness. Media is not neutral. And it will fill your mind and shape your heart before you know it. If your media and phones and screens are the dominant thing that are filling your heart and mind. And parents, you have to know what is coming into your home. That's your responsibility. This is not about the freedom of a child to do whatever they want. It is your responsibility to know what ways the world is trying to get into your house. You are the one God has appointed to be a bulwark against the world seeping into the hearts of your family. It is your calling to declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and the love of the world has no place here. And that's our calling. Well, I want to step back at the end here. There's a couple implications, I think, that this has for us. First... If Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 are true, parents, it means that Sunday school and youth group and Christian schools are good blessings from the Lord, but they are not the ones called to shape the hearts of your children. Parents, it's your responsibility to discipline your children. And while Sunday school and youth group and Christian schools can be good blessings and neglecting them, may be robbing our families of a good God-ordained instrument in our children's lives, they aren't there to do the parents' job. And if our efforts at discipleship are limited at dropping our kids off at Sunday school or youth group, we have not fulfilled the responsibility the Lord's given us. The second thing I just want to hold in front of you this morning is to particularly give a calling to the men and the fathers in our congregation. It is clear from Scripture, from Proverbs that we've just studied, that a father's instruction and a mother's instruction are essential in our children's lives. And yet within that, God has given a particular calling to husbands and fathers to be the head of your home. And when God calls fathers to be the head of the family, he's not giving them a right to power or all decision-making. He's giving you a burden of responsibility. And he means that you are to be engaged in and to be responsible for the instruction of your children as it's happening And as it's given both by you and your wife. And so, fathers, would you take this opportunity to check your hearts and to check your lives and ask, Am I fulfilling the responsibility the Lord has given me in my home? Now, I realize as we say this, there may be some of us as parents and fathers who know and see our failures and our weaknesses in this area and perhaps we're even grieving and wrestling with the consequences of our failures to instruct our children in the Lord and if that's the case you need to remember the wide open door an invitation to the mercy of God through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness And if you are wrestling with the consequences of this, you also need to remember there is hope in the sovereign mercy of God. Because while God has called parents to this responsibility, he has also shown his ability to work according to his sovereign grace to redeem our children even in the face of our weaknesses and our failures. And he invites us to pray and to wait upon him in hope. Maybe I should also note that there may be others of us this morning who are grieving not so much out of a sense of our failures, but out of a sense of the reality that despite our efforts, one or more of our children are not walking with the Lord. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 18 and the New Testament, Romans 9, both remind us that while God has given covenantal promises and blessings to the children of believers, we do not have a guarantee that each of our children will follow the Lord. A sinful heart will reject God despite every benefit in the world. And so if you are in that situation, then your call is first to reject any accusation that the Lord has failed in His promises, and second, to continue in patient prayer and hope in the sovereign mercy of our God. Well, we come to the end, and as we do, let's end where we started. Whether your home is just you or whether your home is a couple, or whether your home is a whole family, Scripture's call is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and to let the word of God be on your heart continually. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that the church grows in its health and in the Lord when each part is working properly, using their gifts to bear fruit in the church. But Jesus told us in John 15 that we can only bear fruit when we are abiding in Christ's love, when we are connected to the vine, when we are in him, keeping his commandments so that the Father and Son make their home in us and we are able to bear fruit to the glory of God. And so my prayer is that each of us and each of our homes are consumed with a love for God in Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit for the strength and health of the church and joyful fruitfulness to the glory of God. So as we conclude this series, this is my prayer for Westminster in 2024. May we be much in prayer as the God-ordained means of spiritual fruit among us. May we be focused on the mission of making disciples as Christ has commanded us. And may we be nourished in the word of God toward the love of God in our homes that may, we may be well-equipped to worship and obey God's call together. Let's pray. Father, how we ask that you would be at work among us. How we ask that your spirit would stir among us this remembering, this recognizing, this meditating on the salvation that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And as we consider Christ's salvation that has rescued us from sin and changed our lives and made us new creations so that our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, Lord, might we live that out. Might we, day by day, nourish that love for God with all our heart, soul, and might and our abiding in Christ's love and obeying your commandments out of that love for you. Oh, Lord, may we do this and may as We do, you work spiritual strength and health in the church for the glory of your name. We pray through Jesus. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.